It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando magic podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is July 12th, 2021. My name is Philip Rosterreich. I'm the expert insight editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. You can follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, the magic have their man. We learn a little bit more about Jamal Mosley. Talk a little bit about what he brings to the table for the Orlando Magic and what lessons the Magic can learn from his departure from Dallas uh, as the Magic begin this rebuild. We'll also talk about the NBA Finals and, yes, USA Basketball as well. Before we get to any of that, though, I do want to remind you all you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network by searching every download podcast for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like this podcast here covering the Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, this podcast covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care and detail that you can only find from a local expert who knows their team best. Want the lowdown on the Milwaukee Bucks after their big win in Game 3 of the NBA Finals? Check out Locked On Bucks. No matter who your team is, whether it's in the NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB, or college, to you, there is a Locked On podcast for you. Just wherever you download podcasts for Locked On and the team you're looking for, the Locked On Podcast Network, it's your team every day. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the app and join me this week on Thursday at 5 p.m. That's Thursday at 5 p.m. to get in on the action and join the conversation only on Spotify Greenroom. Sunday afternoon, the Orlando Magic made it official, naming Jamal Mosley the new head coach of the of Orlando Magic, the 15th head coach in the club's 33-year history, or coming up on 30, the 33rd year coming up here in a couple months. Um, it, this has been something that we've known about uh, since Thursday. Um, it's been widely reported that the Magic were nearing an agreement with Jamal Mosley. We've been acting like Jamal Mosley's been the coach for a little while now, but now that it, it is official, uh, we will get to meet him on Monday uh, during, during a, uh, a press conference, um, and then the work will begin. Uh, Jamal Mosley will have to put together a staff, and it sounds like that uh, the front office will have some, some role in putting that staff together as well, and then we'll be preparing for the draft over the next two and a half weeks or so. The big thing that everyone has talked about, and I've talked to a few Mavericks fans, I've talked to I've talk, talked to a few Mavericks people, I've talked to, of course, our pals at Locked On Mavericks, um, just reading everything that's out there about our new coach. Because, like I've said, what do we really know about assistant coaches? What do we really know about the job that they do and the work that they've done? Um, and Fred Katz of the Athletic did a really good job talking to colleagues of Jamal Mosley to kind of get that inside scoop and really learn who he is. And we'll talk a little bit about what was said and, and some interesting points from there. But everywhere you go, you hear one thing about Jamal Mosley. And that is he is a player development coach. He is a player relationship guy. He is very good at establishing and forging relationships with his players and getting them to work hard for him. He is there for them. He is there to work them hard. And if they are willing to accept that coaching, Mosley is their guy. Um, and really, that's, that's what this is all about. I think that there's, and I saw some of this conversation out there I think there's this misnomer that uh, that that someone who is a players coach is somehow soft or, or soft on players and isn't tough on players. And, and I think we all kind of 
I mean, people who know the NBA know that that is really not the case. To, to get that kind of buddy-buddy relationship with a player is really less uh, a kind of spoiling the player and more of um, a sign of respect. Um, you, you don't get this close with players if players don't respect you because the players that are at least worth their salt want to get better. They want to work hard. And while, you know, kind of that old notion of the coach being the stick and, and, being, the, and, and being the taskmaster has gone away, the reason why those coaches were successful to begin with is because they had players' respect. They knew that doing the things that that coach wanted them to do would make them and then make the team better. Now, those kinds of coaches wear out very, very quickly. Um, you know, Scott Skiles was, had a really successful early start here in Orlando, and then guys kind of tuned him out, uh, and the, the messaging no longer worked. So a softer approach in that sense makes sense because that message has got to stay present. But again, all these players want to do is they want to see the proof. They want to know that you're there to make them better, that you're there to make the team better. Steve Clifford was a player development coach, and frankly, while everyone thinks he has a, a gruff exterior and, and is demanding, demanding in a lot of ways, he was a player's coach. His players love him. They loved playing for him. They knew that he got a lot out of him. And while there's certainly some, some criticisms of Steve Clifford and some criticisms of the way that he handled things and the way that he managed things um, because he's just a very structured guy, that structure provides stability. That structure provided a, an opportunity for players to get better, and players certainly got better under Steve Clifford, both in Charlotte and in Orlando, even if, even if the Magic had ultimately kind of wound their way to the end of that group. Mosley is, in that way, a player's coach. Um, he is someone that players just seem to adore. They know that he's going to work hard. He's going to get on the floor with them. He's a former player, uh, you know, and at 42 is still able to, able to get, get on the floor. He's able to work individually with players and kind of really get his hands dirty. Now, how much, how much he's going to be able to do that as an assistant coach is certainly a fair question because there's a lot more responsibility as a head coach, but, and, and mostly it's assistants that are on the floor working with players. But Mosley has that ability and has that reputation to be someone that works with players and works with them very, very hard. That is just absolutely fundamental to the, the approach that Mosley brings to the table. And for a young team, that's exactly what they need. Look, this Orlando Magic team, while they do have some, some kind of youngish veterans and Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz, uh, Wendell Carter, guys who are near the end of their rookie contracts at least, these are guys that are still learning the league, are still trying to find their place in the league. And they, they need someone that's going to get the most out of them. They don't need a coach that's there to coach a finished product. They need a coach to kind of build them up from the ground up. And that's what Mosley does. That's what Mosley appears to do, and that's, 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 I think, why the Magic ultimately picked him. The Magic wanted, first and for, foremost, a player development coach. They wanted someone who's going to get the most out of these young players. And there's no reason to think that Mosley isn't that guy or Mosley isn't capable of being that guy. So then the next question becomes, what kind of team are the Magic going to be? And here there are some hints about the coaching style and, and, and what Mosley's going to try and accomplish as a head coach. Um, there's a video that was released by the NBCA, the National Basketball Coaches Association, a few years ago, uh, interviewing Jamal Mosley and, and talking about his extensive experience in the league. Um, and he notes it there that his approach is about defense. Um, he was the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Mavericks over the last three years. He said, you know, he kind of 
paints it that defense is a team's backbone. You can scheme and, and put players in positions to succeed offensively. And, and so that's where his X's and O's acumen is going to be really, te- really tested. Finding uh, some offensive support on the assistant staff, I think, is going to be very, very important for this team. But everything with Mosley is going to start with defense. That's the kind of player he was at Colorado and through his, uh, his brief pro career in Mexico, uh, Australia, and, and, and South Korea. Um, he, is, he, is, he is going to be about defense. And, and frankly, that makes sense for this Magic team because their roster is geared toward defense. As much as the Magic need to add some offense and need to be better offensively, this is still a defensive team. And defense is still an easy way to find success quickly. But I think there's a really key difference to what Mosley's going to bring. And I think fans are going to be really excited about this. Um, if you haven't already, Fred Katz of The Athletic talked to colleagues of all the top candidates for the Washington Wizards job. Um, and so in his section about Mosley, he asked what kind of philosophy does Mosley bring? Uh, and, and, and the colleague said that Mosley is about defense. But you even look, but you know, we've pointed this out too. The Mavericks defense hasn't been good. 18th, 18th, and 21st in the three years that Mosley was defensive coordinator. But the colleague brought this important point up. Like, look, Dallas may not have the personnel to be a strong defensive team, but their guys get after it on defense. Mosley wants high pressure, wants the guys to play with a lot of energy. He brings a lot of energy himself. And so he's going to play, he wants his guys to play with a lot of energy too. Um, and so there's a lot more pressure defense, a lot more kind of getting after guys, make, you know, making sure they feel you, uh, and and really kind of trying to force turnovers and trying to trying to create a little bit of havoc. Look, Steve Clifford is a great defensive coach. The defense that he brought to Orlando was absolutely something that it needed. And you know, again, I'm a little critical um, of of especially the the post uh, trade deadline time. There's a time to kind of adjust and kind of change the way they played and. You know, maybe Clifford wasn't comfortable doing that without a ton of practice, um, but the Magic were not the same team. Steve Clifford comes from the Pat Riley coaching tree. Uh, Pat Riley's uh, Jeff Van Gundy coaching tree. They're all about protecting the paint. Their defense is conservative and it is physical. And again, those aren't bad things. There's different defensive philosophies and different teams need different defensive philosophies too. They're about protecting the paint. And Steve Clifford had a very structured and kind of rigid, very safe defensive strategy. It's, you know, Stan Van Gundy was much the same way. Whereas, you know, you don't go for steals. You don't get out of position. You worry about positioning more than anything else. It doesn't appear that that's Mosley's way. It appears Mosley wants his guys to play with a little more energy. You know, to, to, to kind of bring bring the defense to the, to the opponent. You know, again... Magic defense was difficult to play because it was consistent and, you know, very difficult to break down. There were a few holes. Everyone was very compact and tight and knew where they were going, knew they were going and knew their rotations. The way that Mosley appears to be set to, to run his defense, or at least what this suggests, is the Magic are going to get after people. They're going to pr- they're going to put some pressure on guys and try and force some turnovers. And I know a lot of fans have been wanting that to try and spark fast breaks. Um, and, and again, this is more how you expect young teams to play. So maybe that's the way they cover up some you know, poor defensive players is they say, just get up on the guy. Make his life hard. Make it hard for him to beat you off the dribble. Don't give him space. We'll see if that's the strategy that the Magic employ, but it certainly seems possible with some of the defensive talent that Mosley now has and Jonathan Isaac and Chumo Kiki and Wendell Carter and Omobamba that the Magic are going to have a very def- different defensive look even if the team is still focused on defense. At the end of the day, though, this hire is all about play- about the players. 
and all about getting the most out of these young guys. I mean, I, I think that point just has to be driven home. In the Magic's press release announcing Jamal Mosley, player development was mentioned twice in the in the in the in the in the press release. That is what's really important. And the Magic clearly like the job that Mosley did in Dallas, like the job that Mosley's done throughout his career. He's been an assistant coach now for 14 seasons. They liked the his ability to connect to players and his ability to get the most out of them. And ultimately, that's how he's going to be judged. We're going to talk a little bit about what happens next for the organization and why keeping everything aligned now is going to be very, very, very important as the Magic continue to rebuild. But before we do that, it's time to learn a little bit more about Built Bar and their limited-time flavor, Built Grasshopper Cookie. Now, the Grasshopper Cookie Bar is possibly still available. It's a limited-time flavor, but so if you missed it, You'll have to wait again uh, to, to grab it. But Bilt Bar has plenty more delicious flavors that are for everyone. Whether it's coconut, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate. I've had several of them. They're all delicious. Doesn't even matter. I don't like strawberry. I've had the strawberry one. It's good. Trust me. If you haven't tried these flavors, you can get a mixed box where you get two of each of the nine currently available flavors. Now, not only are Bilt Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy too. Most of them are between 17 to 18 pro- grams of protein. Calories ranging from 130 to 180 cal- calories. Only 4 to 5 grams of sugar and only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. This isn't some meal replacement protein bar. This isn't something that you pound after a workout because you need an extra meal fast. This is a recovery bar. This is a quick snack. This is an energy booster in the middle of your day. So go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off at Built.com. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team, so do that. Yeah. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home, but I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on. Must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. The big theme that Jeff Waldman made uh, in, in announcing the parting with Steve Clifford was about organizational alignment. Um, you know, very, very clearly, this was kind of what drove Steve Clifford to, to ask off the bus, for, for lack of a better, better term. Um, clearly, the Magic were changing directions. Um, they were no longer a perennial playoff team. They were no longer a team filled with veterans. They were a team with young guys that needed learn and space to make mistakes and. You know, while Steve Clifford, I think, is a great developmental coach, that is not his role. Um, you know, I've often, I, I tell people this all the time. I think, like, players, coaches have roles. Some coaches are better for finishing, pro- finishing finished products. 
you know, Phil Jackson, Rick Carlisle, you know, those those guys take teams, Doc Rivers, those guys take teams that are formed that need that little extra to get over the hill. And 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 they can be great player coaches and tacticians, but they need that little extra to get over the hump and get to that next level. Uh coach like like you know, say Steve Clifford is really good at taking teams that are already established that, you know, have a little bit of experience, but need that little bit to get into the playoffs. And, and the thing that he has improved, and the thing that he's probably going to try and prove as he takes over his next team is to take a team from the playoffs to the second round, which is not easy to do. A coach like Jamal Mosley, a player development coach, a, a p- coach that relates well to young players, we don't know exactly what coach he is, but he is the kind of coach that works for young teams like this. And certainly part of the equation and part of the deal is that, yes, Jamal Mosley is going to have to accept a lot of losing in the first couple of years. Now, he's not going to be accepting it passively. He's going to be trying to find ways to stop it and trying to find ways to make the team better and surprise people. Who knows? This magic, I mean, it's Eastern Conference. This team could very easily make the playoffs next year if everything breaks right. Um, but there's certainly an understanding that wins aren't the number one priority. And that's ultimately what drove Steve Clifford away. And so I think Jeff Waltman, who I, I think has a reputation for being very kind of player friendly, very coach friendly, like being there, being like upfront with people, gave Steve Clifford an out and he took it because, like he said, their missions, their their ideas no longer aligned. And it's very, very clear how important this kind of alignment is. That the goals of the front office and the goals of the coaching staff and the goals of the team are the same. Yeah, look. The coaching staff should be trying to win games. Um, you know, we, we, we have this discussion about tanking every year. We're going to have it again next year. The Magic did their job this year to get the get the third worst record in the top odds in the lottery, and the lottery didn't turn out for them. Whether that means tanking is good or not, I think there's plenty of evidence to suggest that it isn't. But certainly, two of those teams that were behind the Magic still got top four picks. Uh, they actually, they got the top two picks in this draft. This is than to say that the coaching staff is going to be trying to win. Um, that, that, that is ultimately their goals, but that's not how we're going to judge them next season. Um, we're going to judge this team on how players develop and how much better they get as the season goes on. Whether they're making progress, whether uh, an identity is forming, even if it isn't quite resulting in wins, we're looking for clues that wins are in the future as players get better and as the team develops. And certainly we're looking for clues of, okay, if this is the guy we're going to build around, if this is the guy that is our star, how do we get the most of him and beginning to make moves to, to emphasize those talents and, and, and to kind of coalesce around that player and that person? That's what this season is going to be about. And what's really, really important is that management, that Jeff Weltman and Jamal Mosley are on the same page about this. Not only on the same page about this part of the process, but on the same page over the next step of the process and the process and the next step after that. And the moment that alignment's no longer in place or the moment that the Magic feel that the coach isn't delivering or isn't taking them to that next step or that next level they want to get to, that's when things get knocked off kilter. And that's when the Magic will move on in another direction. Inevitably, coaches are hired to be fired. You just hope that that firing comes six, seven years down the road instead of three or four. This is 
sort of what doomed the Dallas Mavericks. And this is what's doomed the Orlando Magic time and time again. Um, and I think it's an important point to bring up. Organizational unity and organizational alignment are key factors to a team success. Philadelphia 76ers and their process fell apart because ownership no longer believed in Sam Hinkie. And it got even worse because Brian Colangelo was kind of meddling in things and wasn't quite building the team the way they needed it to be built and, and, and building a young team. They were trying to speed up that process. The Magic have ample history of just poor organizational unity throughout even just the last decade. The reason why the Magic are cons- consistently in this position is because they lack organizational unity. Rob Hennigan had this plan to kind of match the Oklahoma City Thunder path. Be bad for two years, get two high draft picks, maybe even three, and build your team with those core guys. Unfortunately, in Orlando, he didn't get Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. He got Victor Oladipo, Aaron Gordon, and Mario Hazonia. Not exactly the same players, even though they were picked with the same exact picks that the Thunder made. But the problems were deeper than that. Jacques Vaughn was not was was a babysitter. Like again, I think Jacques Vaughn has turned into a really good coach. When he was hired, I I told people at the press like at the press conference, this guy's probably not the guy to deliver a championship to Orlando. He's just gonna he hopefully gets them to that guy. It was just two years of experience on the bench in San Antonio, and really just not a super experienced assistant coaching staff next to him. The Magic floundered. The Magic didn't have an identity. They didn't grow in the way that they needed to grow. And eventually, ownership patience ran out. Again, organizational unity also goes up to the owner. Ownership's patience ran out. And after three years, the Magic wanted to push for something more. And when the team couldn't deliver, they tried to force it. They tried to hire their guy, a guy that that fought with ownership, that with management, didn't have the same vision as Rob Hennigan, pushed for, for trades, and then the Magic got desperate, and that put them in a deep, deep hole. Frankly, a hole that they're still sort of digging themselves out of. Under Jeff Weltman, the Magic had better organizational unity and alignment. You know, the team had a, had a youngish veteran team. They brought in Steve Clifford. Steve Clifford was the perfect coach for that team. They found limited success uh, making the playoffs two straight years. Uh, and when it was time to pull the plug, they pulled the plug. Steve Clifford said, I don't want to be here for a rebuild. They moved on. You can see how much better this team has functioned and this team has worked over the last four, three or four seasons than it did in the previous five. And so, the Magic now need to make sure that they're always on the same page with their coaching staff and their coaching staff is on the same page as management. They can't let expectations run wild. They can't you know, kind of force things but they need to be able to listen to this new coaching staff. They need to be able to listen and say, you know, hey, we need this. You know, this, this guy could be really good, but he needs this for his support. And they need to be working together. That's ultimately what didn't happen in Dallas. You know, for whatever reason, the Mavericks were just always off. They brought in plenty of talent. They had the talent to be really good. They have Luka Doncic, who's an incredible player. But clearly, there's some... There's, at least if you believe some of the reporting out there, there's tension and there's fighting within the front office, leading to poor decision-making on the bench. And that ultimately led Rick Carlisle to resign. Rick Carlisle didn't want to deal with it anymore. And the Mavericks, while certainly further ahead, are kind of scrambling now to pick up the pieces. You know, one of the reasons, and again, this was sort of disproven with Rick Carlisle, with uh, Josh Robbins of The Athletic reporting that Rick Carlisle sent 
video to the Magic recommending Jamal Mosley and recommended him personally. Um, there is reporting that that Carlisle and Mosley had some tension because of Mosley's close relationship with Doncic uh, during their time with Dallas, and that's why Carlisle recommended Jason Kidd for the job instead of Mosley. Um, but but uh, but you know if, if the reporting from the Athletics to be believed, it, that appears not to be the issue. It, it appears that Carlisle still recommended Mosley highly for the Magic job, and, and of course he ultimately got it. Organizational unity, though, is key at this stage of the development. Everyone needs to have the same goals, and everyone needs to be on the on board with the same ideas. And if that happens, if and Mosley is as good of a coach as we all hope that he can be, the magic will progress, and the magic will take steps forward. That's all really, really, really important. So right now, the magic seem to be perfectly aligned again. And we'll see exactly what comes of it. We'll talk about Game 3 of the NBA Finals, plus a shocking loss by the USA basketball team coming up here in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing. The NBA Finals coming to an end. You can track all the action now at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for our sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC MMA action too. Before the next pitch... Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code Locked On. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA Finals and Olympics coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. And boy, what a game did we have Sunday night. The Milwaukee Bucks defeating the Phoenix Suns to win game three, 120 to 100. Um, yo, look, I said this after game two. What Giannis Antetokounmpo is doing right now is absolutely crazy. Um, I, I would not be surprised if we learn the full extent of his knee injury after the season ends. Um, it is clear he's not playing at 100%, and every time he falls, you just you just you know skip a heartbeat a little bit because again, we want to see Giannis at his best, and he is you know he has struggled a little bit in game one, but games two and three he has delivered in major ways: 41 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, 14 for 23 shooting 13 for 17 from the foul line. The Bucs are handing him the ball and letting him go. And, and, and really, no one has an answer for Giannis when he is playing at this level. The Suns certainly do not. And, and, and really, their task right now is make enough shots to keep the Bucs at bay. The Bucs have been super resilient all year. Uh, and, and try and limit the other guys. Try and limit fast-break opportunities. Try and limit everyone else. And so the first time this series, they were unable to do that. 
Chris Middleton, 18 points, 6 for 14 shooting. Drew Holiday, 21 points, 8 for 14 shooting. Bobby Portis, 11 points off the bench. For the first time, the Suns didn't have the answers. Um, you know, Phoenix shoots just shoots 48.2% from the floor, but just 9 for 31 from beyond the arc. Uh, and, and again, Giannis was just so good. He got to the foul line for 17 free throw attempts. And while that's not super abnormal, the Suns couldn't get to the foul line themselves with only 16 in the game. That's, that was a point Monty Williams made afterward, trying to kind of make sure the refs know that heading into game four. Phoenix, again, Phoenix just didn't have the same mojo that they had back in back in, in Phoenix. Devin Booker had a dud with 10 points and 3 for 14 shooting, just 1 for 7 from beyond the arc. Chris Paul, 19 points, 9 assists. Jay Crowder, DeAndre Aiden, each with 18. Phoenix was in this, Phoenix was kind of in it, um, and they were leading early in the game, but once Milwaukee got rolling, once Giannis got rolling, once Drew Holiday got rolling, the Suns just did not have the firepower in this game to stop it. Um, so the question now that needs to be answered is, how much of this game was Milwaukee's defense and Milwaukee's defense feeding their offense? And how much of this game was just Phoenix having a bad shooting night? It's going to happen, even in the NBA Finals. They're going to have bad shooting nights. It's going to be outlier games. These are the big questions that the Suns and the Bucks are going to be answering and getting ready for as they get ready for Game 4. Um, you know, I, I'm glad this is a series. I want this to be a good series. I'm When I don't have a rooting interest, I want a good series. And I think for the NBA, uh, frankly, a, a longer series would be better. I did take Suns in 6. I'm still sticking by that. Um, but I don't know what's going to happen in Game 4. Um, you know, I don't think that Phoenix has a way to stop Giannis. And so this game really turns on Devin Booker showing up. Chris Paul showing up. Chris Paul's shown up. And both both have shown up throughout the series. They need both of those guys playing at exceptionally high levels um, on both ends if they want to win. I still think Phoenix is in control. I still think Phoenix is dictating the terms of this series. But Giannis is the best player on the floor. And there's always that age-old saying, if you have the best player on the floor, you always have a chance to win the series. And the Bucs certainly have the best player on the floor. What everyone wants to talk about, though, this weekend, if you missed it, USA Basketball lost in a shocking 90-87 defeat to Nigeria. Um, for first half, it felt like the U.S. was kind of playing with their toys and kind of easing in the game. And you just always kind of figured the U.S. would, would uh, run away from things. Um, but they very much looked like a team that was slapped together at the last second. Um, they looked like a team that, frankly, was still getting used to the ball. I think Kevin Durant was 1-for-7 from deep. Damian Lillard was 4-for-10 from deep. And three-point shooting is the key to beating the U.S. and the key to uh, any success that you have on the international level. Nigeria made 23-pointers, led in scoring by Miami Heat uh, guard Gabe Vincent. Um, they made 23-pointers. They took a 7-point lead in the fourth quarter. And with the U.S. down 3, Nigeria did what international teams are going to do. They fouled immediately, trusting that they can make enough free throws to hold the U.S. off. They certainly did. It was a very anticlimactic ending to a humongous upset. Uh, Nigeria, I believe, were 30-point underdogs entering the game. Now, look, part of me believes that this is a ploy, that, um, that you know, Greg Popovich put some lineups out there in key moments to put some fear into the U.S., that they needed to feel this defeat, that they needed to feel that, hey, a team like Nigeria, which is probably the worst team in the U.S., not that Nigeria is a bad team, um, they've gotten some NBA players. They've got they 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 Mike Brown did a fantastic job coaching the ladies. Are all the credit for winning the game. Nigeria is the worst team the U.S. is going to face on their road to the Olympics. They play Australia tonight. They'll play Argentina and Spain ahead of the Olympics as well. The U.S. needs some fear. They need to know that they can be beaten. 
and hopefully that will focus their their effort and their focus their intensity and focus their shooting. But there are issues nonetheless. The U.S. is relying on Bam Adebayo, Kevin Love, and Draymond Green to play center. And while I think Bam Adebayo is a perfect center for the international game, not exactly the best rebounder in the world. Uh, rebounding is going to have to be a gang effort. But really, you know, the vibe that I got from watching the first half especially was it very much felt like they were in all-star game mode. Um, it felt like they were, you know, willing to settle for shots. They were they were willing to kind of not move the ball or do very very simplistic actions. Um, it, it just didn't feel like they were a team. Uh, and, and with the shots not falling, that opened the door for Nigeria. Um, the U.S. Olympic team, I think, is still the heavy favorites to win, but certainly there is a dent in the armor. Certainly there are cracks showing uh, in this U.S. basketball program. Kevin Durant's not going to have a game like that again. Damon Willard probably won't either. The U.S. will find roles. They'll kind of find their, find their gaps. And yeah, when the Olympics come around, they'll start playing their starters a little bit more. The, the players that Greg Popovich truly trusts a little bit in their roles a little bit more. But look, the U.S. slapping this team together kind of at the last second with guys who weren't together really for the World Cup, who haven't been part of the U.S. program for a while now, that's going to show. This is not an all-star game. These are legitimate teams. These are guys that have played together for a very, very long time. And they're hungry for a win. After the U.S.'s seventh place finish in the World Cup uh, two years ago, there's, there's blood in the water. Everyone knows that the U.S., while very talented, is super vulnerable. Should make for a great Olympic basketball tournament. I am very curious to see how the U.S. bounces back from that game against Australia, a team that beat them twice on the road to the World Cup last year, or a couple years ago. U.S. cannot, you know, Australia is a very, very good team. The Boomers are a fantastic team. The U.S. has to be ready to play, and they have to play a lot better if they want to win and if they want to have a good showing in these Olympic Games. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Lockdown Magic. Of course, follow me on Twitter at Lockdown Magic. Subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts. Hit your tune in. Himalaya, Google Play, Spotify, Odyssey, and all the other podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. Don't forget, starting July 19th, that's next Monday, the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey begins. Featuring analysis from the GOAT of NBA Mock Drafts, Chad Ford, and Odyssey NBA experts Brian Scalabrini and former general manager Ryan McDonough. Our Locked On NBA local experts will make selections and trades for your favorite basketball teams throughout this week-long special event. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your audio home for all the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. I already turned in my picks. The mock draft's actually already done. Um, I turned in my picks. I'm excited to share them with you. I'll break them down more specifically when we get to them next week. We'll also hear from uh, from those guests as well, uh, hopefully as well, hopefully uh, to break down the Magic's picks and, and react to them as well as the Magic way, what to do with the fifth and eighth picks in the NBA draft. We'll get back to the draft here coming up in the next couple days. Tomorrow, we'll, we'll react to Jamal Mosley's introductory press conference. He will meet the media later on today. Uh, so be sure to follow me on Twitter at omagicdaily or at philipr underscore md uh, or watch us on Spectrum Sports 360 um, to, to get the latest on the Orlando Magic. But until then, until next time, for Orlando Magic Daily and Lockdown Magic, this has been Phil Cross and Mike. We'll see you all again next time for another episode of Lockdown Magic. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.